Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're starting a new series based on Ernest Holmes' book, Thoughts Are Things, the founder of the Science of Mind. It's a collection of his writings from, I would say, the middle of his career. Uh, And it really, I think, does what he does best. He breaks down the idea of how our thoughts become things. He breaks down the idea of our thoughts actually being creative, actually being productive, and does so in a way um, that's really easy to understand. It's a very conversationally written book. I think you're going to enjoy this month. In fact, let me read the the preface to it. Uh, uh, The foreword this time around as they republished it was from Reverend Dr. Kathy Ann Lewis, our sister church uh, up in Seattle. She says, if you know how Would you be willing to create happiness, wealth, health, and success in your life? If I shared the knowledge about how to do just that, could you accept it? Would you use it? Well, here's the secret that I'm thrilled to share with you. Our thinking influences our every experience. Our thoughts are indeed things. From the simplest things like grocery lists to the larger issues of life, love, and happiness, what we say, what we write, what we believe, and what we think must become the circumstances of our living. So this month we're going to be talking about intentional thinking. We're going to be talking about that ability to proactively choose what our thoughts are, choose what our ideas and thought patterns are so that we can enjoy a better life. And that's not where I'm going to start today. Actually, where I'm going to start today is talking about my first car. Um, So, you know, soup to nuts, what can I say? Um, So I think I was starting to be annoying to my parents when I was like 14 about a new car. Does that sound about right? Is that what? Yeah, okay. And, uh, And I remember, you know, we'd be driving by and I'd say, wow, that's a nice car. And of course, in my own little mind, I'm picking models that would be affordable, I'm thinking, with pretty colors. And... You know, basically trying to plant the seed of that's the car I want, that's the car I want. Well, my parents being, um, you know, nobody's fool, as they say, uh, decided that this would be a good lesson in responsibility. And so uh, they were really upfront about it. They said, you know, I think it might be personally uh, completely reasonable that at age 16 or 17 you have a car. But let's figure this out. First of all, It seems like next year in school, maybe driver's ed would be an important thing to learn how to drive. And and I'm thinking of my stepfather going, because I ain't going to show him. (laughs) It's like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't getting in the car with him. (laughs) So sure enough, we signed me up for driver's ed. And the following summer, I worked. Because the other idea was, well, what if we gave you a car kind of as a graduation present, or maybe for your junior year, but... It's like, hello, maybe you would want to earn the money for the six months of an insurance policy on it. Maybe you would want to have a little money put aside so that, you know, oil changes. And and so we worked all this out. My parents were so smart. I remember the summer before, uh, absolutely, I worked all summer. I worked in a, in a hospital doing records filing and stuff and put all of the money together. And at the end of my junior year of high school for that summer, I got a seven-year-old VW 
um, one of those weird microbus things, right? It was, well, you know, so uh, perhaps I'm a, a little bit saying how old I am in this, but, uh, but anyway, it's like that car was so swell. It's like we could load it with kids and go down to the beach. I had so much fun that summer doing odds and ends. And at the end of the summer, I thought, road trip. What would be more awesome than a road trip? So a friend of I decided we would go down to Ashland and then see one of the last plays of the summer down in Ashland and, and just hang out and enjoy, you know, freedom and free love and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really am saying how old I am now, aren't I? <laughs> all right, fair enough, fair enough. So we get in the car and, and from Newport, Oregon was where I was raised. We, we head over to Corvallis and, and, you know, I don't think we made it all the way to the I-5 freeway before the check oil light came on. And so my friend and I were like, check oil light, check oil light. You know, I really need to ask my stepfather about this when we get back from the trip. <laughs> that, that, you know, it could be important. And I remember we got on the I-5 and, and we're, we're headed south to Ashland. And I think we get about to Grants Pass and the light starts blinking. <laughs> well, now I gotta tell you, you know, the light might just be, you know, we'll take care of it at some point. But when it started blinking, even 17-year-old Larry realized this could be important, right? So, uh, so we think we'll ask someone in Ashland. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, we did get to Ashland, and of course, in, in having our fun and checking into our, our cheap motel and, and being at the play and really walking everywhere in Ashland, because it's like that, it wasn't until the trip back, there's the light again. We got about as far as Grants Pass, and the engine locked up, and that was the last mile that that car ever went. It needed a new engine because we didn't put oil in it. And I got to tell you, it, I learned something about ownership. When we own something, it isn't just about the fun times, you know? And, and I think my parents did a reasonable job of setting me up for the expectations of owning a car, right? It's like I had to know how to drive it. I had to understand the expenses around uh, insurance and gasoline and those kinds of things. And I would say I learned another really good lesson, too, about maintenance and, and, and sustaining something that you own. And I would say, as I look back on it, even though that in the moment was a, a scary and somewhat tragical kind of thing, on the heels of watching Macbeth, no doubt, in Ashland, <laughs> um, I really learned a lot about ownership. I want to suggest that most of us, and, and I'll own up to this myself, don't even have that level of ownership of our own lives and our own thinking. And for Kathy Ann's plan of world domination here through changing our thinking and changing our lives, I think the first thing that we need to do is take ownership of how we got to be right where we are right now, warts and all. Because this thing about our thoughts becoming things, that's not like new. It isn't just like you came here and then we'll flip that switch. We'll turn that on for you. We'll have that thoughts become things starting today. Because the, the news, the, the truth of it is, that's been working since the day we were born. And so our lives, just as they are right now, words and all, blessings and not so blessings, you know, health problems and bliss, 
you know, a wonderful relationship and pitfalls, you know, the job that we love or the job that we hate. All of that we have created through our own thinking. Thoughts become things. And so if there are things in, we li in life that we love, we're responsible for them. And of course we can take ownership for them. And this one I see fairly frequently. I see people saying, yeah, I love this new job I have, you know? It's like it fits my skills and I work hard at it and I'm excelling. And do you see the sense of ownership? This is a great job and I'm kind of responsible for that ownership. But sometimes not so much the other way. Here's this mess and it's their fault. Here's this awkwardness, right? Don't we see that, right? Actually, let me illustrate with a joke. I think you'll enjoy this joke. <laughs> All right, so two men are sitting next to each other at the office. The younger of the two can't help but notice that the other coworker constantly complains about not having enough money to buy a car that he really wants. And yet, he seems to go out every night for beer. The younger man, proud of his intentional thinking, decides to share this wisdom with the older office worker. He says, do you stop for a beer on the way home? And the older coworker says, well, yeah. And how many beers do you generally have? On my way home, maybe two or maybe three. The young man asks, and how much do you pay for those beers? Well, probably about $5, including the tip. And how long have you had beers after work, says the younger man. Well, the older fellow thinks for a minute. You know, it's been close to 20 years. Now the young man winds up to throw the ball. <laughs> so if a beer costs $5 and you have three beers a day, five nights a week, that puts your spending each month at $450. In one year, it would be approximately $5,400. And if you expand that over 20 years without even adding in inflation, the total would be something like over $100,000. If you had skipped those beers, you could have a brand new Ferrari. Well, the older man is kind of stunned by this, stops for a minute, and then asks his coworker, so do you drink beer? No, says the younger man. The older man smiles. Then where's your Ferrari? <laughs> and you know, I think that's, I think that's actually the issue here, because isn't it so easy to see things gone wrong in other people's lives and what they have done, what their thinking is, what their attitudes are that have produced that miserable outcome? Aren't we quick, or at least in our own head? Actually, I have learned to be really slow about offering advice anymore, but it isn't that it doesn't occur to me in my head. Isn't that true? We'll see someone, you know, maybe not doing something in an ideal way or having thoughts that are producing outcomes in their life that are anything but beneficial. And there's always that urge to wade in because, of course, we could help them with this. We know a better way to do it or new ways of thinking or, or new options that they could consider. But see, the trouble is we're not aware of what we're thinking. So often we think that the miserable things that happen to us are some quirk of fate or bad luck or, or the, you know, the government reorganizing or, or some boss that has it in for us. And even though on the surface we might think that thoughts are things, when things are going well, it's not the boss that creates a bad job experience. It's, it's not the, the spouse that creates an unwelcome marriage. It's not the, the people and the things outside of us that create unwanted experiences of life. 
I have to own up to that, even as I have to own up to really ruining a perfectly good VW. I'm that powerful. I am that powerful. Through the creative force of my own mind, my own thinking, I can create everything from bliss to your worst nightmare. I am that powerful. When I'm not, though, I'm not always aware that I'm even doing it. And so this month, we're really going to be talking all month about the ability to intentionally change our thinking, not just to go with the flow, not just to imagine how life could be better or have that wishful, hopeful idea of life, but to actually examine our thinking and change it for a better outcome. And I'm going to give you the first tool today. So if thoughts are things, then are not things caused by thoughts? And so if we want to think back to that idea of kind of owning our life, so look at the things in your life. Maybe a, a wonderful relationship, maybe a happy home, but maybe there are a few areas where things aren't going quite so well. Maybe a, a friend of ours is in, in big trouble and we don't seem to be able to help them, or, or maybe we're having trouble at work. I don't know. In my experience, most people have things that are both wonderful and beautiful in the way I like them, and also things not so much. If things are caused by our thinking, isn't it time that maybe we started looking at that thinking? Now, many of you know that I have this sneaky habit of uh, uh, inviting people to do homework, and today's not going to be any different. And so let's, uh, let's think about our homework early in this process. I'm going to ask you to observe five things going really well in your lives and I'm going to invite you to observe five things in your life that could be improved upon. And what I'd like you to do is try to see that causality between the thinking and the things. So, so let me use a, an example for you. Let's say that the rest of your life really going pretty darn good, uh, but maybe your job, it's like, oh my gosh, I just... Really, I'm not even enjoying going into work anymore. I don't really feel like they're using my skills. I don't really have that sense of participation. It doesn't seem like they're honoring me at work anymore the way they used to. Really, there's kind of a little problem here. So that's the thing. The thing is not being happy at work, right? What are the thoughts that are producing that? So for me, I might take a look and I'd say, well, first of all, what do I think about jobs in general? Do I think that jobs have to be endured? Or do I think that jobs are special and wonderful and, and, and actually a, a gift to me? Do I think of jobs as just being there for the paycheck? Or do I have a, another idea of it? And what do I think of bosses? Do I think in general that bosses are there to, to sort of help me out and point me in the right direction? Or do I think that bosses in general are kind of controlling SOBs? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because I tell you, if my thinking is that jobs are horrible and I'd be better to be out of there, if I'm thinking that bosses are, are really there as a thorn in my side and to be avoided at all costs, if I'm really thinking that my skills are unlikely to be used to good advantage in a job, am I not just inviting that experience? My thoughts became a thing. 
So homework this week, remember five areas that are going well and your thoughts that probably are creating that, right? Maybe your marriage is going really well and it's your thoughts of love and cooperation, of, of, of sweetness and co- co- collaboration. Those are probably the kind of thoughts that are producing that great relationship. So, so five on the positive side and, and what you're thinking is that's creating that and then five on the not-so-positive side or negative side, and what thinking might be going on to produce that. And then next week, we're going to learn some more tools for beginning to actually shift that to, on purpose, enhance the positive thinking that we're doing and do a little reversal on some of the negative thinking. If thoughts become things... Let us be more careful about our thinking. Let us begin creating in our experience a new way of looking at things so that we'll have new things to look at. Really, we have created all of this. Thoughts have become things from the earliest age in our lives. And today I'm not flipping the switch to make that happen. But maybe today is the day that we internalize that process and really begin looking at our own thinking. I'm going to close today with another quote um, from Ernest Holmes' book, Thoughts or Things. And uh, what's interesting also uh, about this book that I kind of like, he actually has the Science of Mind treatments in here as well. And so I'll do a quote, and then I'm going to close uh, with the Science of Mind treatment right out of the book. He says, It is impossible for you to experience the full joy of living while you identify yourself with anything less than perfection. The images of your thoughts attract to you And you are attracted to people, circumstances, and situations which are like them. Once you fully realize this, you will understand that to change undesirable conditions or to protect yourself from them, you must, of necessity, change the basic pattern of your own thoughts. This requires that you must consistently be on guard as to what you allow into your own mind. When sense thoughts come that are contrary to your greatest good, They must be replaced with their opposite. We must only affirm those ideas that are to our advantage. So let us pray. There is one power. There is one presence. There is one life. There is one God. And Ernest Holmes says that divine intelligence now helps me to control my thinking and causes me to expect only good things to come into my experience. I know that today and every day the power of the living spirit makes perfect the way before me. Divine intelligence is always acting upon my mind. It's telling me what best to do, counseling me wisely, guiding me gently, surely into the pathways of prosperity, happiness, physical health. I am ever protected by the love of God. I am ever secure in the hands of God. Only good comes to me. Only good comes out of me. This is what I expect. This, this is what I accept as my experience of life. I'm grateful for this. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. So glad you were here today. And happy Mother's Day, everyone. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 
Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.